Romans chapter 14, we will read the text before us and then look at it verse by verse. Romans 14, beginning in verse 1. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat, and he gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us shall give an account of himself to God. We, um, we come to a passage this morning that is important for for us as a church to understand. We, we live in a time in which there is such a, a need for unity within the church. Unity that is there. We also live in, in a time in which we have been exhorted by culture, by the church, to, to have unity at, at all costs. And that's not what this particular text is saying. We, we, we are called to have unity in Christ as Christians in the essentials of the faith. But there are times in which we, we do need to say this is right and, and this is wrong. This is biblical and this is unbiblical. This is the gospel and this is no gospel at all. When you... When you say things like that, there are times where it, it, it comes across as if we are divisive. That we're causing disunity within the church. And yet, when we read a passage like this, we will find as we go through that this is not calling us to unity in such a way as disregarding doctrine, disregarding sin, disregarding what Scripture says. You see in God's Word where He says things like, like without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and He is the rewarder of those who seek Him. Hebrews 11.6. And so when we look at something like that, we can't compromise on that. The Bible teaches us so clearly that we are saved by faith. 
and saved by faith alone. We see that it is not the result of works. It's not the result of us doing our part as far as all of the works that we have built up and we meet God halfway. We see in Scripture that God says that it is by faith that we are saved. And in this particular text, without faith, it's impossible to please Him. We see God say other things in Scripture, like where He tells us, in relationship to Christ rising from the dead. If Christ has not risen, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is also in vain. If Christ hasn't risen, then everything that we preach is in vain. See that dealing with the deity of Christ, and dealing with the authority of God's word, the perfection of God's word, The Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. In these things, it's it's not where we we can look at essential doctrines like this and say, well, hey, it's okay not to believe this exactly. Or we we can compromise on these things. We we saw that in a way that to me was was somewhat shocking um, in the last election. When... Mitt Romney, who is a Mormon, um, ran for president, and, and the issue of Mormonism came up over and over again throughout the election, um, but largely wasn't debated and wasn't talked about. In fact, when any evangelical said that Mormonism was not Christianity, they were called upon to apologize. They, they were called upon to to, to say something different than that, to say that it was a cult was something that was, was, was something that everybody had to back away from saying anything like that. Um, we were just to accept it as far as, well, Mormonism's another form of Christianity. It is, it's, it's almost like it's, it's, there's Baptists and there's Presbyterians and there's Lutherans and there's Mormons. But for us as Christians who believe the Bible to be the very word of God, we have to make stances on those things and say, no, this is, there is incredible differences between Mormonism and Christianity. Mormons do not believe that the Bible is the perfect, inerrant word of God. They've added other writings to it that totally and completely contradict it. Mormons do not believe that Jesus is a part of the triune Godhead, that he is God. Mormons believe that Jesus and Satan are brothers. Mormons do not believe that you're saved by faith alone. Mormons believe a gospel in which is no gospel at all. If, if we give in these things and say, well, let's just not say anything mean like that, that's hateful, that, that's divisive. Why would you say something like that? We take the gospel in doing that and just discard it completely. If, if Christ is not God, then we are not saved. If, if Christ is the created being who is the brother of Satan, then he cannot take the full force of the wrath of our sin, wrath of God for our sin, 
upon himself. If we also are going to become gods like him, that is radically different than the creator, the sovereign, almighty creator of the universe that has created all things and rules all things and has given us his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We can't pretend like there are no differences in these things. We go through and and we see doctrines in which they matter. Um, I don't think that that having differences between us and other Christians is a bad thing. Um, I like that we care about certain things. I like that we believe things to be true. I, I do see things differently than other denominations here as, as, on behalf of all the elders here for church. Um, there's fences that we have up as far as these are things that we believe. We believe God's word to be perfect, to be without error, to be 100% authoritative. Um, we believe other doctrines that are less essential as far as those that pertain to, to practices here within the church, church government, things like that. But it's okay to have fences up. I just think it's important that we also have gates that are very welcoming in and out, that we're, we have joyful fellowship with other believers. There, there's a conference that takes place every two years in Louisville, Kentucky, called Together for the Gospel. And you have Presbyterians that are there. You have Lutherans that are there. You have Baptists that are there. You have EV Free people who are there. You have Sovereign Grace people there, Pentecostals who are there, or Charismatics that are there. You, you have um, Reverence Bible Church people who may attend that, and other non-denominational groups, Calvary Chapels, others. There's those that go to conferences that are like this. And th- there's something so sweet to be able to have people together that go and say, okay, we don't agree on church government. We don't. Some people have presbyteries. Some have elders. Um, some are congregational then. We don't agree on issues of end times. Some are all millennial, some are premillennial, some are postmillennial, some are pre-trip, some are mid-trip, some are post-trip. There, there's a number of different beliefs. We, we don't agree on these things. Um, we don't agree on worship. One, one of the things that they had said was they almost didn't have any songs because they couldn't get anybody to agree. There are some that <laughs> thought you... We should only do hymns, and others, we only should do hymns that are from Scripture, that are just word by word from Scripture. Some thought, no, we should have guys with guitars up there. No, we should have just piano. There shouldn't be any musical instruments at all. And there was all these debates to where they almost just said, like, forget it, we won't do any of it. And then they decided to be charitable and just do a piano. But it's hard because you have people, and they have very strong convictions on different things. But there are some things in which... We are to divide over, for sure. There are some things in which we are to put our feet into the ground and say, absolutely not, we will not compromise on this. We will not compromise on the gospel. We will not, we, we will not vary from, from that we are saved by, by Christ alone, um, by grace alone, through faith alone. We, we won't compromise on these things. But there are other things in which we are to compromise We find here, this is a call to unity. And I think it's important for us to look and and understand first that there is unity in the body. Um, You you may look and see so many different denominations and so many different groups. And 
you, you hear the prayer of Christ in John 17 where he says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who believe in me through the, their word. They all, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And, and, and it's possible for us to hear a prayer like that and say, well, that didn't come into effect. But I, 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 think, that, I think that Christ always prayed in accordance with the will of the Father. And it did come into effect. There is unity amongst believers. There is unity in that we are all found in Christ. We are all clothed with his robes of righteousness. We have all been made new creations. We who were dead have been made alive. We all have the Holy Spirit residing within us. We will all spend eternity with him because we have all been adopted into his family. We are all held in his hand. And, and, and the Father who is greater than all holds us in his hand. And there's no one that could ever snatch us away. And of all that the Father has given him, he will lose none of them. And there is unity that is there with us because we who are believers and who hope in Christ and in the gospel of his work on the cross, of dying on the cross for our sins and and taking our sins upon himself and giving us his righteousness and him being fully God, laying down his life as also being fully man for us on the cross so that we could spend eternity with him through faith in him. And there's unity that is there within the gospel. We believe it. And there is definitely unity within the church. But if you've been a Christian for any period of time at all, you know that there are a number of things in which we divide over. There is a number of things in which there are differences amongst Christians. We see here in this passage, it begins, Receive one who is weak in faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Now this is just an example that we find here in this particular text as far as it's what they are dealing with here in Rome. There's those that ate meat. And then there was those within the church that said, well, how do we know that it's kosher? How do we know that we can't eat it? How do we know how it was slaughtered? How do we know all of these things? And so, well, we don't know. We're in Rome. We're, just, we're not going to eat meat at all. We'll just eat vegetables. And so there's this debate that's taking place here, and, and, and so Paul is addressing it. But saying specifically, receive one who is weak in the faith. I grew up um, in a home in which we, we definitely grew up in a, in a Christian home. And, uh, and th- th- there's things that, that took place in our home that probably are different than maybe what takes place in your home. Um, I remember being a kid, and, and when, it, when it came time for in your, in your class where they did Christmas, or let's start with Halloween, with Halloween stuff where they you know, did crafts with haunted houses and ghosts and witches and things like that. When that took place, my, my mom and dad just told the teacher, hey, if you're going to do anything like that, let us know because our kid won't be going to school that day. And so we, didn't go, we did not go to school on those days. And my parents replaced it with something fun that we did at home. Um, during Christmas time, um, when it came to like doing Santa Claus stuff and things like that, they, my parents had, they had nothing to do with that at all. If they were going to do crafts during school of Santa stuff, we did not do it. Um, I, I remember just, okay, we, we're, we're going home today. And we would go home and do things at home. And, and for some of you, that's just not the case.
case. I, I mean, I think my wife just found out recently that Santa was not real. Um, I'm, totally, I'm totally kidding. But is that true? Tasha's brother's here as well today. But um, no, she found out. But that was like a big part of their childhood growing up was Santa Claus. For us, it was, I've never sat on Santa's lap. I've never told him what I wanted. There was never a shelf on the elf, or elf on the shelf, whatever it is. Like, should be a shelf on that elf. But we were just taught that there was a sovereign God that was in control that saw all things, whether you were naughty or nice. It had nothing to do with an elf on the shelf. We we grew up in in a much different place as far as we knew that Santa wasn't real. We ruined Christmas for a lot of little kids over those years. And I'm somewhat proud of it. I may be ruining it for some of you right now, but never dressed up for Halloween in my entire life that I recall. I, I didn't, we, that was not a part of it. We didn't go trick-or-treating. We had a hallelujah party. Thus, we have one now. Um, and and I think some of these things were so good for me. I mean, just just seeing that I was, in, in my siblings, that we were different than the world, um, that we were pilgrims, that that we were set apart, that we believed something that was different than the world. I think that there's things like that that were good. Um, I didn't ever have to wonder whether, you know, my parents didn't tell us the truth about Santa and maybe did they not tell us the truth about Christ? I mean, even like the tooth fairy, we knew like there was no tooth fairy and we'd put our tooth under our pillow and we knew mom was coming in and, and, and she was going to take the tooth and put money and if we caught her, we got 10 times the amount. So we had, we had booby traps set up all over the place as far as can we catch her and we never, ever caught her. But you'll find that there are differences. Um, Kent Hughes, in his commentary on the section, he brings up 11 things that, that he finds to be differences that are non-essentials, that are not a matter of, of sin or not necessarily, but things in which Christians differ on. And these 11 things, one is theater. Can Christians go to theater? Um, cosmetics, can Christians wear makeup? Alcohol, can Christians drink alcohol? Tobacco, can Christians smoke? Card playing, is it okay to play cards? Dancing, is it okay to dance? Fashion, um, is it okay to dress in trendy ways like others in the world dress? Um, What Bible translation do you use? Sports, is it okay for young Christians to be in competitive sports um, even though it may be ego-exalting? Is music, what kind of music can they listen to? What's all right? Material wealth, is it okay to, to have a nice house? Is it okay to have a nice car? Is it okay to have these things? And you'll have Christians that just divide over so many of those kinds of things. Growing up, for me, I, I spent time in different churches, and um, I grew up in Calvary chapels in which people dressed very casually for the most part. Um, and And went from there to Vanguard University and it was Southern California College at the time, played soccer there and and there was rules like no dancing, no smoking, no drinking, here's the rules and they had rules and I 
I love the one about no dancing because I can't dance worth anything. And so I, that was my thing. You'd go to a wedding. I'm sorry, I'm not allowed to. I sign something. I mean, I would like to just to bust right now and just show you all my moves, but I can't because I signed something. Um, but there was rules that were like that growing up. Um, from there, I went to the master's seminary. Also, no dancing, no drinking, no smoking. But also, I had to wear a dress shirt, and I had to have a tie, and I had to have slacks, and I had to have dress shoes every day. My hair had to be short. Um, and uh, and it, it was a much different circle. And there was, there was very much rules that were there. I mean, you, you would never see someone raise their hands during worship. You would never see other things. It was just different than I had grown up with, for sure. From there, I went to Westminster Theological Seminary, which is more of a conservative Presbyterian seminary. And there they would have casual, they dress casually. Some people would have dress shirts, some not. Um, they'd have no problem having a beer together. They'd have no problem smoking pipes together. They'd have no, no problem allowing their hair to grow longer. And, and, and they used their liberty in some of those ways in which I never would have seen in any other places. But one thing that I saw consistently there and later spent time at Trinity, like what I found was that even though there was differences amongst these people, whether it be Calvary Chapel or Assemblies of God or Baptist or Presbyterian or EV Free, Reverence Bible Church, there was a unity that was there in which we loved Christ. I saw it consistently over and over and over again that they loved Christ. They loved his word consistently in which they loved the gospel. We see that there's differences. Um, there's differences amongst us, but there are things in which we are not to divide over. Here it says, receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. Here's an example of a person who is weak in faith. And in this case, it's those that will only eat vegetables. Now, I look at this, and I know there's, there's people who are vegetarians here, and, and I know that there's those that definitely like to eat meat. Um, we, we have those that, that will strictly maybe only eat vegetables or throw in fish. I saw another shirt that said, if God didn't want us to eat animals, why did he make them out of meat? <laughs> another, if God didn't want us to eat man- animals, why did he make them taste so good? Um, but there, in this particular situation, I don't think it's talking about that. It's talking more about whether it's kosher, whether it was okay. And here we see it as is more of a situation of the person who is weak in faith isn't weak because they're only eating vegetables. They're weak because they don't have a clear understanding of what it is that Christ has done for them in making it so that they are free. You picture a child in which when they first stand up and they start walking, and, and I think for most little kids, they, they, they start walking by grabbing onto the coffee table and just kind of walking around the coffee table and they, they just kind of go around and eventually they, they go away from the coffee table. 
And here in, in this particular situation, you see it as where there is the Christian who is here and he's like a child who's free to walk. He's capable of walking, but he still holds onto the coffee table to keep himself from falling. And in such a way, I will not eat meat. He's not saying that he is, has weak faith and that he does not trust fully in Christ for his salvation. He's not weak in faith because, because he's living just like the world lives. He's, he's weak because he's in a particular place in which he doesn't understand that Christ has forgiven him of all of his sins. And, and not only that, but he has given him freedom in this area. We see in, in, in Colossians 2, verse 16, where it says, So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a, a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is Christ. And, and here you, you're looking that there were those that also, they ate certain ways and they obeyed certain days because in some way they were trying to earn their salvation. And that's, that's not what we find here because Paul in this particular section is saying, let them be. In Galatians, he doesn't say that at all. Something much different. Here, it's just let them be. The one who's strong is, is not one who uses his liberty to sin and to be around all kinds of wickedness. There's those that are like that. There's those that will take a passage like this and they just use it for a license to sin in all kinds of different ways. They'll read a passage like this, and it's just, okay, this gives me a license to act just like the world does. And I'm, I'm strong in faith because I can do these things, and I can act this way, and I can use my liberty, and I can talk this way, and I can watch those movies, and I can do all of these other things because, hey, I'm free, and I'm the strong one. It's not what this is saying at all. This is not... The person who is strong is not the one who has a license to sin and does all of these things, living in all kinds of sin. Rather, the one who's strong is the one who simply says, I will eat and do these things to the glory of God. Um, I'll, I'll freely eat without guilt for what I'm eating because Christ has done these things and he has made it so that I am able to do this now. The Christian who is strong is the one who joyfully desires to live his life in accordance with God's word, the one who, who is strong understands the significance of Christ's death in relation to how he lives his daily life. And so when we look at this as far as the strong and the weak, it's a matter of, of are, am I still bound by these things? In verse 3 it says, Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat, judge him who eats, for God has received him. As we look at this as Christians, there is, he cares, God cares about how we are towards one another, how we treat one another. We're to receive those who are weak. And we're not to despise the person who does not eat. The one who who does not eat, is not to judge him who eats. We are to show a whole lot of grace to one another in a number of different ways. That's what this passage is saying. You, you have different people. I wear a, a suit when I come up to preach. Um, 
before our church started, Faye Acton, Faye, I'm talking about you, is that okay? Um, I think Bill asked me, how are you going to dress for the first Sunday? And my response amongst a bunch of people was, well, I'll for sure wear, you know, a shirt and tie. And face it, you better wear more than that. It's <laughs> a good one, Faye. And, and, and so I did. But later on, Pastor Bill, who you will see in a moment as he leads us in communion, he almost always will have a suit and tie on on Sunday. And, and he, he came to me at one point and said, I was dressed up for a wedding. And he said, I noticed you have a coat and tie on for, for the wedding. Why do you do that? Well, just respect. Like, wear a coat and tie for a wedding. Oh, I see. Oh, I see. So, it's, so it's more important to be dressed up for a wedding than when you're preaching God's word. And at that point, I'm like, all right, I'll wear a suit and tie. I'll do that for, you know. And, and just wanting to be in a place where there's respect for the, the office, and yet at the same time, we as a church, you can come however you want. I've, I've never seen Chris or Kelly Dunn ever wear pants, ever, <laughs> ever. No, maybe once or twice for both of you guys. But they, they come, and there's freedom to come, and you'll see that people come in different ways. There's one person that said to me, like, I didn't, I didn't even want to go to the church because I looked at the website, and you had a coat and tie, and I thought, I don't want to dress like that on Sunday. And then he came, and he was like, wow, so you're the only one that really does dress that way on Sunday. <laughs> but there's freedom in these things. We're not to despise him who does not eat. One who... Let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. Recognizing it's God who received them. Recognizing when we look at one another and we see differences between us. This guy's never dressed up for Halloween. This person dresses up for Halloween. Uh, this person observes certain things. This person has never had a Christmas tree. This person always has a Christmas tree. Going through and looking at other things that are like that, this, this person goes to the beach, this person doesn't go to the beach, this person dances, this person doesn't dance, this person smokes, this, this person does not. And you go and you begin to look at these things and we, we're not to divide over it. Someone came to me and, and said, well, what do you think about smoking? Will smoking make it so I don't go to heaven? And I said, no. Smoking's not going to send you to hell. it just make you smell like you've already been there. <laughs> We're gracious here at our church. We don't want to divide over things that Scripture doesn't specifically call sin. In Mark 7, verse 15, it says, There is nothing that enters a man outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he goes on and says, um, So he said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him, because it does not enter his heart but his stomach? And is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. And so we see here that the person who eats is not to despise and think less of the person who does not eat meat. 
We're, we're to understand that it is God who has received both Christians. It's not a matter of a believer and an unbeliever, but it is a matter of two Christians who have been received by God. They belong to Christ. They have the same Holy Spirit residing within them. And they've been adopted into the same family. And we're not to despise another in whom has also been received by God. We're not to be in a place of you cannot come in because you are doing this. Because you think this way. But they are to be welcome into our church. Even though they may think differently on some issues. That is not to say that someone is to be welcomed into our church that is living in habitual sin. We look and, and there is a reason why there is church discipline that is conducted in Scripture. And God calls us to do that as a church. There is such a push on us to, 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 to not think that way. With the issue of homosexuality, are we to just say, okay, just come and practice homosexuality here, here at our church and it's okay. No, we're not. The Bible says it's sin. Whether the culture says it's sin or not, we, we don't base what we think on culture. We base what we say on what we think on what does God say in his word. If God says it's sin, it doesn't matter what culture says. We are going to obey God rather than men. We trust him. If someone's living in adultery, we're not to just say, like, come, that's okay. You can leave that church and you can come to our church and you'll be here and that's okay. We're to say, no, repent. Go back to the church that you came from and repent. We're to be in a place of not allowing someone just to abandon their family and just come here and it's okay. You know, you can be here. We just want more people here. No, you go back to your family and you repent for what you've done. This is what God says. If you don't repent, if you don't leave, we will assume you're an unbeliever because God says these things in his word. But on issues that are more of preferences... We are to show a lot of grace. How are we to reject a brother who has been received by God? Not only to receive them, but we're to love them, be gracious with them, to grow together in fellowship with one another. In verse 4, Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. In this case, once again, we, we place... They place themselves under the law as a means of earning salvation, not simply on how to please God. Um, so who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Who do we belong to? We're not to make judgments as far as, hey, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do these things as far as preferences. God says to his master he stands or falls. You, you may own a business, and you don't want it to be where your competitors coming over and saying, hey, employees, you guys have to act like this at the other man's business. It's your business. You're running the business. He's our master. He's our master. We belong to him. He is our Lord. We are to submit to him in all of these things. He goes from here and he says, one person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Both of these Christians are passionate about pleasing Christ. One's fully convinced to observe certain days for the Lord, the other treats every day alike. Both Christians want to honor and please God. They're both devoted to Christ. But the weaker brother still esteems one day above others. God just calls each person to be fully convinced to live according to their principles. If 
If I think it is a sin to do something, like, like to dance, but I still go out dancing even though it may not be a sin to dance to you, if I'm convinced that it is, then I'm in sin in doing that. If In the keeping of days, I, I thought I was doing it to earn salvation, as they did with the Galatians, then it would be sin. But if it's just I'm trying to do these things, I think this is pleasing to God, even though I'm free not to, for me to go against my conscience in that would be wrong. In verse 6, it says, He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day, to the Lord he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord. He who... For he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat, and he gives God thanks. In both situations, they're there and they're doing it to the Lord. I am only going to eat meat. I'm going I'm to eat meat and I'm going to do it as to the Lord. I'm thankful for it. I'm, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for prime rib. I'm thankful for these things. I'm going to eat it and just give thanks. And the other person, I'm only going to eat vegetables and I'm thankful. I'm thankful for what God's given me. I'm not going to participate in something that I don't know whether it's going to be okay or I think it may not be okay. I'm going to give thanks. And to the Lord, I am going to do this and I'm not going to have any meat. And here it just says, do it into the Lord and give God thanks. The primary thing is that we're living for the Lord. You see, in, in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Not only living for him in the decisions that we make, but we're to joyfully live for him, giving thanks along the way. Christ is to be joyfully praised and exalted with hearts full of thanks, receiving one another, loving one another, being gracious to one another, because we belong to Christ. We've been received by him in thinking that way. For if we live, verse 8, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether you live or die, we are the Lord's. This verse is just incredible because you just see like this accountability that we have to God. We live and die for him. Everything that you do should be done for Christ and for his glory in life and in death. We belong to Christ. Our actions towards others are not simply between us and them. We're constantly making our decisions based on what is most to the glory of God. And when we come to die, may the Lord enable us to die in such a way that Christ is exalted. The way that I live and the way that I die. When I die, may Christ be exalted. It's a joy to know that God's numbered our days, days that he knows all things, that there's not a sparrow that falls to the ground apart from his will. Therefore, we can trust God when he calls us home in his timing, knowing that we can glorify him even in our final moments. I'm going to die and die in the Lord, living for him. And then for all eternity, I will be with him in the Lord. When I live, it's for him and for his glory. We are the Lord's. We belong to him. That's what the passage says. We belong to him. We are the Lord's. He purchased us. He lovingly purchased us. He is our loving master. We love him because he first loved us. And so if we live, we live entirely for him. Our relationships exist for his glory. Our work is to the glory of God. Our school we study to the glory of God. In sports, we play to the glory of God. If we're married, we love our spouses to the glory of God. If we have children, we raise them in the ways of the Lord to the glory of God because he's our Lord, because we belong to him. We serve in a church. We give. We study his word. We worship. It's all done in such a way that represents that we belong to him in the entirety of our lives. And when we die, it just continues. We will forever exist for the glory of the Lord.
And he will always be our Lord. In verse 9, for to this end Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. And so God tells us, don't judge him, don't condemn him, don't, don't divide with people. Whether you're strong or you're weak, whether you have preferences in this way or preferences in that way. Don't judge your brother. Don't show contempt for your brother. Everybody who is a believer here will, will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We're accountable to him. Not the great white throne of judgment, but the bema seat of Christ. We, we are accountable to him. You see it in Matthew 25 where it says, He also had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents besides them. And the Lord will say to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. We're accountable to him. James Montgomery Boyce said regarding this passage, Have you ever taken stock of the talents God has given you? I do not mean just your particular strong points or strong skills. But everything you are, have you ever done a complete inventory of who you are so that you may give it all to God for his service and glory? Have you ever done that? Have you ever looked at this is who I am? This is who who I am. How can I use this to the most of God's glory? Belongs to him. For me, I, I played soccer growing up. It was a big part of my life. I did a lot of soccer. And I, after I graduated high school, I, I played on a, this, this Christian team that um, played here in a semi-pro league, and then we played overseas a lot, doing different trips, and it was all Christian guys. And, and we used that for the purpose of the glory of God, just for the purpose of preaching the gospel. With every team that we 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 played against with all the fans who were there. We always shared the gospel wherever we went. From there, it's been coaching for years. Um, I try to use that for the purpose of God's glory. How can I minister to the kids that God's placed there with me? Trying to encourage them in the gospel, trying to point them towards Christ. You may have your business or you may be there to where you know a lot of your neighbors and you're good with talking with them. You may be gifted in another way. How is your time used? How are, is your mind used? How is it that you, you conduct yourselves? Have you ever given account of who you are, who God has made you, the talents that he has given you? And as Boyce says, not your particularly strong points or your strong skills, but everything that you are. As a friend, if you're married as a husband or as a wife, how are you using your life? Have you ever done a complete inventory of who you are so that you may give it all to God for his service and glory? 
passage here says, so then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. We belong to him. Over and over in this passage, you'll find you are the Lord's. You belong to him. May we see ourselves that way. Brothers and sisters, I, I pray that we would be a church that doctrine matters to us. It matters to us. What we think, what we believe, it matters. And we will hold fast to the gospel. We will not compromise on the gospel. We will hold fast to God's word and what it is that we says, and we will not waver in those things. And we will stand strong even when culture and church goes totally against us. We will hold to the truths that we find in God's word and have that be our authority rather than culture. But at the same time, God help us to be gracious with one another. Some people prefer worship in certain ways, others in other ways. Some people dress one way, some people dress another way. Some people homeschool, some people do not. Some people have convictions about dancing or music or cards or other things. But when you go to Scripture and you start looking, there's principles that are given as far as do it all to the glory of God. But rather than divide over things that our preferences, God help us to just be a body. God help us to be unified. God help us not to divide over things that we ought never to divide over. That would be the heart of Romans chapter 14. You have liberty in certain things, and there's weak brothers and there's strong brothers, but don't despise the weak. Receive them. Receive them. Love them. Have fellowship with them. We can think differently on different things and still be totally unified in Christ and ready to just proclaim his glory amongst our church and in this valley and to the nations. Amen. Come before the Lord in prayer and then we'll partake in communion together.